is Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit on, down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. The two fish he divided among them, among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of fish and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. This is God's word. Let's pray before we study this together. Lord God, as we come to study your word together now, we ask that you would help us to see more of you and to see you more clearly than before. This is a passage many of us are very familiar with. We have heard of the miracles that you did many times for most of us. Yet we pray that we would not approach this with a sense of weariness, an attitude that presumes to know all that's here. May we see you with new eyes and excitement in our hearts. Your teaching this morning, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we uh, do continue with Mark's gospel today, we, uh, we return to a focus on Jesus. Now, last week we had the, um, the account of the, 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 the really the, the gruesome account of the death of John the Baptist. And we saw some horrendous and gross attitudes and gross things that were happening in the, the, the leaders of Israel at the time, let alone just the horrific death of John being beheaded and his head presented on a platter. Now, we've got to remember that while we return to having a focus on Jesus today, what Mark has just told us, the events of John the Baptist's death, they're not an awkward interruption or just this ungainly passage that Mark thought, well, there was an event that happened at the time, so I have to record it somewhere. I'll slot it in here, and then we just get back to Jesus and continue. It's not an awkward interruption. There are great things for us to learn. And it actually quite likely ties in with some of the things that we see today. Now, as I said, we do have this greater focus on Jesus today than we did last week. And we also are picking up where we left off prior to the death of John the Baptist. And that was from verses 7 through 13 of chapter 6, Jesus sending out the apostles. He sent them out two by two, 
They were allowed to have sandals. They were allowed to have a staff. They were allowed to have a tunic and a buddy. They went out two by two to preach, to heal, to cast out demons. And what we pick up with today is the apostles are returning to Christ. Now, there's a lot of debate in many commentaries about how long the apostles were gone for. Perhaps it was one extended trip that they went on, and now this is a time where all 12 are back together with Jesus. Uh, some people suggest that there were various small trips that these guys went on two by two. Went out to this town, back to Jesus, to that town, back to Jesus, to that town, back to Jesus. Fact is, we could debate it all day long. There's lots of words written about this in commentaries. We don't know. We just don't know. That's not the main point. The main point is, though, that these guys had gone out. They'd gone out as Jesus had sent them. They had taught, they had cast out demons. And verse 30, when the apostles gathered to Jesus, they told him all the things that they had done, all the things that they had taught. They were accountable to Jesus. They knew they were going in his name. They knew they were continuing his teaching. They knew that they were continuing his work in many ways, extending the work of Jesus in many ways. And they come back and they tell him what they've done. They've been busy. They've been really busy. They've been active. They have been faithful in their service to God. And Jesus says to them in verse 31, he tells them to to come aside, just step away by yourselves for a little while. We'll go to a deserted place so you guys can get a little bit of R&R. That's what the plan is. Mark gives a little bit of reason for this. Not only had these guys been working hard for a chunk of time, they got back and by the end of verse 31, we see that there were so many people bustling around the place where they were that they didn't even have time to eat. It's this hub, this hive of activity taking place. It's a very vivid scene that Mark is painting for us with really what is an economy of words. I don't really spend a whole heap, use a whole heap of words to, to paint quite a good picture here, does he? A skill I wish I had. My stories sometimes drag a bit. Mark's not quite like that. There's lots going on. These guys need some time to have a break. Now, I will make a, just a brief point there. It's not a big point, but it is a brief point. I've met people who think that to be faithful in service to God, they always have to be doing something. Everything has to be activity, 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 activity. If God blesses you with the energy to do that, that is fantastic. But it is not wrong to occasionally take some time out to at least have something to eat. It's not sinful, it's not selfish, we need to make sure of that, that we don't confuse a, a, a overly spiritualized exhausting ourselves. There are times where it is okay to stop and eat and take a break. Jesus here is effectively organizing a, a little bit of holiday so these guys can get some R&R, they, they just need it. It's quite likely a chance for Jesus to teach these guys even further. They're going to keep teaching. They're going to keep going out. They're going to keep teaching what Jesus has taught them already. But there's more for them to learn. 
It's an opportunity for these guys to physically rest as well as to be spiritually nourished rather than being the ones who are always providing the spiritual food for others. It's one of the reasons why pastors need to hear from other pastors through the week. We need spiritual input, each one of us do. These guys have been teaching, they needed a chance to be taught. Now, one final comment before we see this attempt from Jesus and the disciples to move, the apostles particularly to move away from the crowds, we can't say for sure. But I think there's some good logic behind it. The death of John the Baptist probably ties a part into this thought of removing themselves off to a deserted place. It wasn't a response of fear. It's a chance for Jesus to, to fortify particularly the 12 apostles because they'd probably at this point in time be putting themselves in John's shoes. John was a forerunner for Christ. He was the one who came to, to smooth the road, to prepare the way, and Herod has just chopped his head off. What are we doing? If these guys were faint-hearted in the least, this is an opportunity for Jesus to take them away from the crowds, to teach them, to reassure them, to strengthen them, to fortify them as they continue in their ministry. Now, we don't know any of that for certain, but the context and what Mark's written here probably makes sense that this is part of the reasoning. I know John Calvin writes about this, and I think there's, we can't say it for sure, but I think there's probably some logic there. So anyway, we get to verse 32. We get to verse 32, we have Jesus and the 12, they, they hop into a boat on their own and they head off to a deserted place. Now maybe after the death of John the Baptist, we weren't hoping coming into this passage. And maybe the, the, the 12, the apostles, the crowds, maybe they weren't hoping for a quiet little getaway. Maybe they were hoping for this massive big demonstration of power from Jesus. Just find another storm and stop that just so we can be reminded of how wonderful you are. Yes, it's worth following you. We need confidence. Maybe our expectation is being deflated because it's not the mind-blowing that's happening right now. It's just heading off to rest. It's Jesus and these 12 apostles heading off, hop in a boat on their own and they head off. But the crowds aren't quite done. Verse 33, verse 33, the multitudes that they saw Jesus and the 12 hopping into boats. They knew where they were going. So they ran to where Jesus and the 12 apostles were heading. They ran. Mark tells us that they run. They're not taking the shortcut across the sea. They're running around the sea to get there. People from the cities, they come out. They're all going there. There's this hunger for Jesus, people are heading out, they're flocking, they're going. People from the cities, they're all coming here. Mark tells us that they actually arrived there before even the boat got there. So they weren't taking the shortcut, but they weren't letting Jesus go. They were going to get there and get more from Jesus. The things Jesus is doing was so amazing. They just had to get more of it. They had to be there with him. They had to see these things happening. They go on this expedition chasing after Jesus. And this is not a well-planned expedition. If any of you have read the, uh, the book The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins is upset when he leaves his home because he doesn't even have a handkerchief. 
He realizes that just down the road, he didn't plan it. He just, oh, spare the moment. I've got to go. I'm off. Like that with these guys. It's not a well-planned expedition. They see Jesus going and they just run after him. It's that simple. Or at least, it's that simple now. The simplicity of this causes some of the complications that we're about to get to. So things don't exactly go to plan in that sense of getting away from the crowds. But if part of the reason for this was to give the apostles a break from teaching, then that is achieved. Because when the crowds are there, when the boat lands, when Jesus is back with the crowds, it is Jesus himself who teaches the crowds and the apostles a whole heap of things. We don't know what this sermon was. We don't know what Jesus actually said to the crowds on this day in any great detail. But we do see at the end of verse 34, he began to teach them many things. This was a wide-ranging lesson about the kingdom of God. There is a fullness to what the crowds learnt that day. Many things were taught. And maybe the lesson was dragging on. I think this was a sort of lesson where you'd go, I didn't realise it was that long. Because the disciples notice that the day is wearing on. It's not the crowds who start getting fidgety, wondering where their food's coming from. It's the disciples who say to Jesus, can we just put a pin in the teaching just for a little bit? Let's put a mark under your note there. Remember where you're up to. We've got to interrupt you with this. It's getting late in the day. These guys don't have any food. What's going to happen? Because our suggestion, if you're open to suggestions, we would like for these guys to go away. Send them into the towns, into the villages nearby, They can buy food, they can look after themselves, just if they stay here, they're going to starve. Jesus, this isn't a great situation. These guys didn't plan their trip, they don't have food, probably don't have handkerchiefs, they just run all the way out here. We would suggest sending them off. There's no Uber Eats. There's no Domino's delivery. What are we going to do send them off? You ever suggested something to someone and say, well, why don't you just do it? Maybe we read that in Jesus' response here. Verse 37, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. There's nothing to eat here, Jesus. The reason we want them to go to the towns and the villages is there's nothing to eat here. Oh, what about this idea? Why don't we spend 200 denarii, 200 days of wages to get some food for these people? We might be able to ration it for them if we do that. One denarii would be able to buy food for about 10 people. So maybe get enough food for 2,000 people with 200 denarii. We don't know if they had that or not or whether they're just making up this number. But maybe we could get enough food for 2,000 people doing that and then maybe we can ration that food for 2,000 to get through this five to 10,000 people crowd that's right here. Jesus, do you know what you're asking us to do? We've seen you do some good things. We know that you have healed and cast out demons and you have told someone that you've forgiven him for his sin. You've calmed storms. 
We saw you do that thing with the pigs. But this is too much. The reason we read Exodus chapter 16 is because we see there God feed his people. Jesus had made claims to be God. But we see that even the 12 apostles at this point in time truly didn't recognise Jesus as God. If they did, they might have begun connecting some dots of, no, actually this is something Jesus can do. Jesus can provide for these people. There's an affection, there's a love, there's a faithfulness growing, but it's still not full recognition of who Jesus is. Jesus, we just, we just can't do this. As Jesus says to them, so how many loaves of bread have you got? Go and find out. And the go and find out is probably because they haven't thought to investigate this before now. As we've got a problem, Jesus, sort it out by getting rid of them. No, Jesus says, find out how much food we have. How many loaves of bread do we have? Now remember that this is Jesus who is greatly compassionate. In our reading today, by the time we get to the end of verse 38... We've already seen two evidences of Jesus' compassion. The first was his compassion for the twelve. They couldn't even stop to eat, so he made it possible for them to get a bit of a break. The second one was when the crowds came to him, and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had great compassion for them. Through Jesus' character, we know that he isn't just going to leave these people hanging. The twelve haven't quite adopted this attitude themselves yet, but this is Jesus who truly is compassionate. The crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. This is why he taught them. To shepherd them in the ways of righteousness. The Pharisees, the scribes, the keepers of the law, the Sadducees, the Essenes, who we don't see in Scripture, but were the third uh, primarily primary, uh, religious group within Judaism at the time. The priests, these guys just aren't teaching the people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Their so-called shepherds were busy trying to kill Jesus and destroy him. Not really the people you look to for spiritual guidance, is it? But this is what they had. They truly were like sheep without a shepherd. The whole issue, the whole bunch of issues surrounded the priests who were serving at this point in time. Uh, we know from the Old Testament that God instituted that it was the Levites who would serve as priests. In history, about 150 years before Christ, there was an uprising by the Maccabees uh, with a, a, a group of people within Israel. They tried to rise up against the Roman oppression. And a whole heap of things were lost at that point in time, including the Levitical genealogies. 
There were many who served as priests because they had bought their positions there as priests. Their own recent history of only 150 years showed just the spiritual problems that they had. These weren't all the people who God had ordained to be priests. Some of them had just bought their position, like buying a commission in the army as people used to be able to do. Now, with the Maccabees, it's a topic for another time, but we see problem after problem after problem. The Pharisees, not all of them were bad. We've said that before. Not all of them were bad, but overall, they weren't leading the people well. The scribes were so legalistic that anything they thought Jesus had done wrong, they would try to pin on him and not care about the people. It wasn't that the law was there for the people. The law was there for them to keep power. The Sadducees, you're seeing, they just didn't really care about the people. Jesus has care for the people. He has compassion for the teachers. He, taught, he, he taught the people. He fed them spiritually. What they were lacking, he fed them. And he gave the apostles time off to rest while he was teaching and taught the apostles too during this time. And now Jesus will feed them again, this time with physical food. So after the apostles ask they should spend that 200 denarii, Jesus said, find out how many loaves we have, and we have good news. The response is good news. We have five loaves and two fish. How good is that? It's not really. We read in another gospel account that this is the lunch of a young boy. Now, 5,000 men, plus women and children, potentially two thousand. Up to 10,000 people, maybe it's had more than that. Five loaves, two fish. It's not going to work. Now, while our expectation of something miraculous might have been for something huge, something just startling, I think this was quite subtle in its presentation. I would have loved to be there that day to see how this took place. There's no instant calming of a storm. There's no instant quelling of the waves. There's no massive rush of pigs thundering down off a cliff. Jesus gets the apostles to seat the people in ranks of 50 and 100. The apostles take these five loaves after Christ has blessed it and he raised his head to heaven when he did that. The son seeking the father's blessing. Something we should do ourselves. Also, uh, important thing for the crowds to realize that, again, Jesus is not of the devil. What he is doing is of God. And the crowds get people seated on the green grass. Now, that stuck out to me. I read deserted places, middle of the, just a couple of cactuses around the place. Sand, nothing else growing there, just a desert. Deserted place isn't always desert. People sit on the green grass. And the apostles hand out the food. It just keeps coming. We, we don't know the logistics of this. We don't know what this would have looked like. But the food just kept coming. It kept coming. And it kept coming. And just like the promise God made in Exodus 16, where the people would be full, the people were full. And the people were so full that they collected leftovers. Twelve baskets. These are big baskets of leftovers. What we see here, it's not explainable by anything other than to say that God the Son performed a miracle. Maybe we say, well, it would just be easier to make that up. 
Anyone could make that up and put it in a story and it's fine. But think about the publicity that the Gospels had when they were written. Mark wrote this not long afterwards, when many who were there would have still been alive. And there are no historical accounts from anyone, of anyone coming forward and saying, well, actually, I was there that day and we had our own lunch. History lacks those things because this happened. This happened. A miraculous event took place that day. Think about those words. A miraculous event happened. They don't just happen. These things don't just happen. God worked a divine act. God worked in an incredibly awesome and simply indescribable way other than to say that from five loaves and two fish, the crowds were fed and full and 12 baskets of leftovers were collected. God worked. Think about all the stuff we've seen through Mark's gospel. Not even halfway yet. Think about all the stuff we've seen through Mark's gospel. Especially what we saw last week with the death of John the Baptist. A, a horrific, truly horrific event. It would be so easy for us. Before we get to us, it would have been very, very easy for the crowds to think it was all over. If Herod is willing to kill John once, and if Herod thinks that Jesus is John come back to life, and if Herod's going to protect himself from revenge, he's going to have to kill this reincarnation of John, it's all over. This is Herod. This is a guy who controls the Roman forces in this land. There is no weaponry available to those who are under an oppressive government. The people can't rise up and really defend themselves properly against this. It's over. Maybe for us today, we look at the news and you go, it's over. Maybe we hear of Christians being treated horrifically and horrendously. We look at persecution that takes place. We think of our brothers and sisters in countries like China who can't meet openly. We think of Christians who are converted in the Middle East, in Arab countries, and their families will kill them if they're given the opportunity to. We think about how quickly any gospel message is shut down on TV. We think about how quickly the world turns to mocking when a Christian school tries to take a stance on homosexuality among its students. We think of all these things, maybe we think it's all over. And it's safer just to put our heads down, to give up on this Jesus fellow and just do what the world tells us to do. We see scary things happen. We see things that cost lives. The 
But what we do also see, when we have God, when we have Christ in our lives, that we will never be without. He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to ask for our daily bread. Do we remember that when we pray? And more than that, he fills our souls. This was a big feed the people had, but the bigger feed was the teaching that Jesus offered. It was one that the body won't just burn up for energy and then need more of. It's a feed that sustains us for eternity. That's what John 6 says. Whoever eats on me and whoever drinks of me will neither hunger nor thirst, talking about our very souls. So where do we turn for nourishment? Where do we turn for energy? Where are we being fed from? Twenty-five to twelve. It's easy just to think the next feed's going to come at lunchtime, isn't it? Maybe our intake of knowledge through the week comes through the lens of social media. Almost ironic this next time, oxymoronic really. Fact-checking teams. We can go to many places to find things. Or we can go to the one place with everlasting food. Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst. So what we need to do is take in as much of Jesus as possible. Remember the great things that he has done. Things like this feeding. Things like the teaching. Things like the fact that he saved our souls from sin. And keep going back to him. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep meeting with Christians and stirring one another up to love and to good works. Our God is able. Our God sustains us. And that is true no matter what we face. We need him every day. So don't ignore him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this awesome account that we read in John six, Mark 6. We, we don't know how this feeding happened. We just don't understand how this could happen or what this would have looked like, yet we know that this is what you did. We thank you that you are the God who supplies for your people in all things, just as you did in Exodus in the wilderness, just as you did in that deserted place away from the towns and the cities that day Jesus taught that we just read about. The way that you save us from sin and your Holy Spirit keeps doing the awesome work that he does in our lives, we are reminded that you provide for us. So Lord God, may we not think that we have to provide for ourselves, but may we turn to you, find the nourishment that you offer us in your word and remember that in all times that we have you and you have us.